Well, good morning, Abundant Life Church. How's everyone doing today? My name is Aaron Walton. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And as always, I am so honored and thankful for the opportunity to speak with you today. Over these last several weeks, we have been a church family that have been dedicated to seeking God first. And hopefully, over these last several weeks, you've just created some space in your daily routine just to spend time with Jesus. And one of the ways that we have done that, one of the ways that we together as a church have sought after God is through prayer. And that's what I get to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 13 as we're going to look at one of probably the most famous prayer in all of Scripture, the Lord's Prayer. Now, before we dive in too deep, I just want to ask you kind of a weird question. Have you ever heard something so much or so often that eventually it kind of lost a little bit of its meaning or significance? Like, is there something that you have said or been said to you or something that you've heard just time and time again, and eventually it just got to the point where it just kind of lost a little bit of its spark? Let me give you a for example from uh, my life. One of the staples growing up in my household was something that my dad always wanted us to do when we gathered together for a meal, was we would sing the doxology. Raise your hand if you know what the doxology is. Okay, okay, we're going to test you guys, all right? We're going we're gonna to sing this together. I'll start us off, but let's just sing the doxology together for those that are unaware. Praise God from it's beautiful. Keep going. Keep going. Creatures. It's like an angelic choir. Keep going. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Here's the best part. Give yourselves a round of applause. That was beautiful. I heard some harmony out there, maybe in this era. That was amazing. So good. Now, um, after, you know, this is just a nice little cute little, you know, beautiful little hymn that my family would always want to sing. And my dad really always wanted us to sing before dinner or lunch or some kind of meal. But after 37 years of singing that over and over and over again, eventually just kind of lost a little bit of its spark for me. So I made the decision uh, that as we still as a family get together and sing this, try to sing it in such a way that would leave a lasting impression, right? Like I tried to sing it in such a way to make it a little bit more of a unique experience. And so I go a couple ways in this. I would either sing it uh, in my most high falsetto voice that I can. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. I know, I know, no, it's okay, it's all right, it's all right. Or I'd go the opposite direction and, and try to embody my Barry White, right? Praise him all creatures, here be low. It's amazing that Scott's never asked me to be on the worship team, right? It's just, it's, it's crazy. Now, I do this for a couple of reasons. One, it makes my nieces and nephews kind of chuckle and laugh, which I'm always going for. Uh, Two, it makes my father very upset, and 
He'll give me that look. He'll just shake his head at me. And it makes my mother give me one of those looks at me. Stop it. Just, just stop it. And I'm like, well, it was worth it for just that right there. That can't go wrong there. But this is human nature, right? Like this is just the way we operate. When we hear something so often, or we do something so often, eventually it just kind of loses a little bit of its spark, right? Anything that we get told over and over and over again becomes familiar. Anything that comes familiar can have the opportunity to kind of lose a little bit of its meaning and its significance because we just kind of like tune it out. And I think that's what we've done to the Lord's Prayer. For those of you that have been raised in the church, you've gone to church for a long time, and even if you haven't gone to the church for very long, you've probably heard the Lord's Prayer at one point or another. And because it is something that we repeat every so often, it's become familiar. And most of the time when you hear it, you probably just tune it out. Or you say to yourself, what is that even saying? What are we even saying when we say the Lord's Prayer? So hopefully today, we're going to spend some time just looking at the Lord's Prayer for a little bit, going a little bit deeper, and hopefully walking away with a better understanding of what Jesus was trying to give his disciples. What was Jesus trying to say to his disciples as he gave them this model of prayer? And also, what do we take away from this today as the church? So I'm going to read it for you. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. This is the Lord's Prayer, and I'm going to read it to you in the NIV version, which is not necessarily my favorite translation, but it's the one I'm most familiar with because that's the translation I heard growing up. So allow me read to you the Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So we're just going to break the Lord's Prayer into two sections here, and we're going to look at them each. They're distinct and yet very much connected. So let's look at that first part. I'll read it to you again. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, Jesus kind of sets up a unique pattern in this first part where he just kind of uses the same clause, the same idea of your, your, right? Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Because what Jesus is trying to do is take the, uh, the disciples' attention, point it away from them, and point it towards God. And really what we can do is we can classify this first section, this first line in the Lord's Prayer, really as an expression of worship. Now, it's, what's hard for us today is that our understanding of worship is very much limited. right? If you think about it, like on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, what is the one aspect of our life that we really overtly classify as worship? And it's the singing that we usually do at the beginning of each service, right? Like that's what we call worship. Everything else is different, but that's really the only thing that is worship. But as we hopefully understand, worship is far more than just singing songs. Now, don't get me wrong. I love our worship time here on Sundays. I hope you guys do too. We have an incredible worship team. And every time that I enter into this place and we begin singing songs of praise to God, I believe that we are truly entering into God's presence. But there is more to worship than just the singing of songs. Really, worship is a, is a lifestyle. The way that I treat other people, the way that I view other people, what I do with the resources I have, with the money that I have, my attitude, all of that is an element 
of worship because our very life, our entire life is an act of worship. And so I love the Lord's Prayer because it gives us kind of three things to think about as we try to understand not only what worship is, but what prayer that Jesus was trying to get his disciples to understand. So we're just going to walk through it one step at a time in this first line to help us understand the essence of true worship. The first part talks about our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Well, that's a really weird way of saying something. What the heck was Jesus trying to say when he said, hallowed be your name? What that basically is trying to communicate, what Jesus was trying to say is that the first part of prayer, the first part of worship is understanding that we are called, we are given the opportunity to praise the character, the story, the faithfulness, and specifically the holiness of God. That's what it means, hallowed be your name. The NLT has a better translation where it says, may your name be kept holy. So that's what Jesus is trying to get at. Like we as followers of Jesus Christ, those disciples, our job is to continually proclaim the holiness and praise of the God of the universe because he is a God that is worthy to be praised. The whole idea of holiness, calling something holy means that it's unique, that it's set apart, that there's nothing else like it. And that's the God that we serve. He is a God that loves us. He is a good God. He is a God that continually is working through all circumstances, drawing us closer to him. And because of who he is, because of his faithfulness, he is worthy to be praised. And then the second part connects to it. Like these are all connected. But the second is now a tangible expression if we truly understand that we are called, that we are designed, that we live on this earth to give praise to God. And it's to continually see the ministry of Jesus take, take its way into this world. That's what he means by your kingdom come. Now, you've probably heard that expression a lot in church, which again is weird language because nobody talks in kingdom language. Nobody talks about kingdoms. But what Jesus is trying to say when he says kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, heaven meeting earth, it's all about we want to see the ministry of Jesus continue to take over this world. We want to see the love and the joy and the peace and the hope that we talked about at Christmas that came in the person of Jesus literally take over our communities, literally take over our lives, our families, our marriages. It's literally like establishing a kingdom. We want to see that every single day and not just see it. We want to be a part of it. We want to say, God, help me be a part of your kingdom. Where can I participate in your ministry? How can I represent your gospel message to this world? And the way we do that is really the last part. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Probably the hardest part of this entire prayer is in that one small sentence for us to literally say, God, I want to surrender my plans. I want to surrender the control that I try to have on my life. I want to surrender my will so that I may experience your will. This is what it means, as I call it, to live up to our created potential. This is why we exist. This is why we have breath in our lungs. This is why we've been placed on this earth to give praise to a God who is holy, who is righteous, who is good. For us to continually cry out, God, we want to see your kingdom. We want to be a part of your kingdom. We want to see your son, Jesus Christ, transform this world. And the only way we're going to do that is by giving up, sacrificing all of these things, our will, our control, so that we can experience what you have for us. Because what you have for us is so much better. 
This is why we exist. This is us living up to our creative potential. Every piece of creation, every piece of creation has a creative potential. And this, literally in the Lord's Prayer, is what we can live up to. This is the design. This is why we exist. Now, many of you might not know this about me, but I'm going to be a little vulnerable to you if you guys are okay with that. I just recently became a pet owner for the first time in my adult life. Now, for most of the years that my wife and I have been married, she did not want anything to do with pets. She resisted. She didn't grow up with pets. She wanted nothing to do with them. And my girls would be begging every day, oh, please, can we have a pet? Can we have a puppy? Can we have a cat? Can we have something, a goldfish, whatever? And it's like, no. And so by just beautiful providence, my sister had a cat who then had a bunch of kittens. And we were graciously given a beautiful little kitten cat. And so when we received this cat, I made a prayer to God. I called out to the Lord of the universe. And this is what I said. I said, Lord, hear my prayer. Please give us a nice cat. Please give us a friendly cat. Please give us a cat who will be a source of joy and love for the whole household from every day forward, from this day till forever. And I'm happy to report, and I'm pleased to report that the Lord did not hear my prayer that day. (laughs) And instead, we were given a mean, cruel, vindictive cat that walks around my house acting like it's better than me, okay? Let me show you a picture of our cat. Let me show you a picture of our cat. Oh, don't, don't even, don't start. Don't let him fool you. Don't let him fool you, okay? This is Sergeant Tibbs. This is our cat, Sergeant Tibbs. If you don't know what Disney movie that's reference of, or if you do, come find me afterwards and I'll tell you. But this is Sergeant Tibbs, and I don't care what he looks like, that is a mean cat right there, okay? And the worst part, the absolute worst part of this is that this cat has my wife fooled, okay? (laughs) Check this out. Look at this. Totally has her fooled. This cat spends most of its life, most of its time cuddled up with my wife, okay? My wife is not necessarily the most physically affectionate. Like, it's hard for her, you know, the cuddles and stuff like that. And so I'm always like, hey, babe, can I cuddle? And she's like, oh, please stop. But when the cat shows up, she's like, oh, my little baby, please. Oh, I love this thing. And I swear to you, I swear to you, when that cat walks by me, which it always does, and goes to my wife for his cuddle time, the cat will stop, look at me, and go like this. And, why, and I'm like, did you guys see that? And they're like, dad, you're going crazy. I'm like, I swear he knows what he's doing, okay? Now, here's the reality. I shouldn't be surprised, okay? And I shouldn't be upset. I really shouldn't be upset at Sergeant Tibbs. You know why? He's just being a cat. This is what cats do. They choose who they love, right? They have no sense of unconditional love or anything like that. They only love the people that they chew and everybody else, they just ignore. A cat is literally just being a cat. In essence, it's living up exactly as God designed it to be. It's living up to its created potential. Now, here's the weird thing. Humanity, you and I, are the only piece of creation, the only aspect of creation 
that can refuse to live up to our created potential. We're the only piece of creation that has the ability to say, no, I'm not going to live up to my created design. I mean, imagine a tree. A tree is a tree, and it can't be anything other than a tree. It has no ability to change what it is. It's just a tree. And every day that tree lives and exists, it gives glory to God by being a tree. Every animal is an animal. It doesn't choose to be a different animal. It can't choose to be a different animal. It literally does it. Even my God-forsaken cat, right, lives up to its created potential, lives up to its created design, and whatever animal it is, it's exactly what it'd be. And no matter how hard I try, no matter how much I'd love for it to be more like a dog, I can't make it anything but a cat. You and I are the only part of creation that can refuse to live up to our potential that can refuse to give glory and praise to the holy name of God, that we can say we want nothing to do with God's kingdom, and I certainly don't want to participate in it. We are the only piece of creation that can refuse God's will because we want what we want, and we don't want anybody telling us what to do. This is why I love the Lord's Prayer. And in this short first sentence, we are reminded of why we exist and challenges us to practice the posture of reverence, to acknowledge that there is a God who is holy, who is good, who loves us, and he is worthy to be praised, that there is a God that we need to surrender all of this to, all of our control, all of our will, all these things that we so try to fight for, we just give it to him because if we do, then we truly can understand what worship is about. The true essence of worship, which is understanding that there is a God that we need to not only sing praises to, but allow our life, the way that we treat other people to be a reflection of that holiness that we see in God. So that's the first part of the prayer. The challenge, but also the encouragement to, to start every prayer, to start every day in a spirit and an attitude of worship. Now let's look at the second part of the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to read it for you again, verses 11 through 13. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, again, like I said, they're kind of different. They sound different. They're, there's kind of two different things that there's talking about here in this same prayer, and yet they are absolutely connected. They cannot be separated from the two. But we see the attitude shift in the second part of the Lord's Prayer, where the first part was all about God, was all about your will be done, your kingdom come. Now it's about us, right? Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. And I love this. I love this part of the prayer because it really does give us permission and acknowledge that, yes, part of prayer is coming to God and, and bringing him our, our heart desires, our, our wants, our needs, and saying to God, this is what I need. This is what I want. God, help me through this. God, I need you right now. And there's no admonishment for it. It's just literally a part of prayer that we can come to God and say, this is what I want. But again, we can't separate the petitions, the wants, from what? That attitude of reverence, that attitude of surrender, and that attitude and that posture of worship that the first part of the prayer was talking to us about. For me, when I look at the second part of the Lord's Prayer, this is really 
some beautiful examples or some tangible illustrations of what the kingdom of God is all about. Remember, we talked about, God, your kingdom come. Let your rule be done. Let your will, let, let, let us see your kingdom established. Now we actually have in this part of the prayer, three incredible examples of what the kingdom of God is all about. So let's walk through them step by step. There's one level to it, and then there's a deeper level to it. So let's dive in. Let's look at both levels. Number one, give us today our daily bread. I love that there is a, there is a God of the universe, that my God that I call upon is my heavenly father, that he wants me to come to him and bring him my laundry list of prayer needs. Like, God, I need this. God, I want this. God, help me. I absolutely love it. But more importantly, I love the way that Jesus challenges his disciples not just to come to him with that laundry list, but to change the attitude and the perspective we have as we come with him to with our needs. Remember, remember that spirit of reverence, that spirit of worship needs to be connected. And we see how it is written, right? Give us today our daily bread. What is that saying? It's literally saying that we come in prayer and we call out to God, God, you are the one who is giving us today our daily bread. What does that daily bread mean? It literally meant that that's what we need to survive that day. Remember, during this time, most of them had no idea what tomorrow may hold. Most of them probably did not have all the resources in the world. These disciples were literally going from day to day going, okay, if we're going to make it through this day, it's only going to be through God's provision. And so what Jesus is saying to all of us here now today is never forget that it's God who provides everything. It's God who has given you everything that you have, all of the riches, all of your glory, all of your fame. That has all come from God, not from ourselves. And I think that he wants us to see everything as a gift. And why does he want us to see it as a gift? Why do we have to have that attitude? Because when we have the attitude of receiving a gift, we are far more likely to then turn around and share that gift with somebody else. We live in a world and we live in a culture that says everything you have, you've earned it. Go and fight for it. Go grab it. Go get it. And don't let anybody else get in your way. And once you get it, you hold on to it and you don't let it go. What Jesus is saying, what the kingdom of God is saying is see to every day as a gift. See all the things that you have as a gift from him. So that when the need arises, when somebody shows up in your life, when there's an opportunity for you to be a part of his kingdom, you can turn around and you can share it. There's a guy in the church that I'm pretty close to and we get coffee every so often. And so as we're having coffee one day, we were just talking about life and faith. He takes out his wallet, pulls out a hundred dollar bill, puts it on the table and slides it over to me. And I'm like, well, hello there, my new best friend. How are you doing? This is I'll pick up the coffee today. He's like, no, no, it's not for you. And I'm like, oh yeah, no, I, of course not. No, I knew that. Um, no, of course not, it's not for me. What, what's going on here? What's going on? He's like, well, let me tell you. I feel like God has blessed me immensely in my life. And I want to be able to give something back. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this $100 that God gave me and I want you to use it for a need that comes up. I don't know what the need is. I don't need to know all the details, but I just want you to take this $100 and I want you to use it for somebody in need. I went, oh my gosh, that's amazing. You're incredible. He's like, no, no, no. I'm not doing this to receive any like compliments. I'm doing it only because I believe this is what God has called me to do. And here's the cool thing, church. So I take that $100 and in a, in a day, 
one day, less than 24 hours, I got a message from someone in the church who just reached out saying, hey, Aaron, we're really in need and we could really use some help. And here's this tangible need. We just need like 60 to $70. We just need something to help us get through. We just need this amount of money so that we can get this and our family will be okay. And I said, well, <laughs> actually, kind of cool. Somebody literally just gave me $100. I have no idea who this $100 is for, but I think this $100 goes to you. And that was able to help with that need. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It can be really hard. It can be challenging. It requires sacrifice. But when we look to God, you are the one that gives us everything. You are the one that gives us our daily bread. We can then turn around and we can share those gifts, that bread, whatever we have with those that might be in need. Number two, and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. This is where the NIV gets a little weird because nobody talks like this. Forgive us our debts. You're talking financially. Is this a, a banking thing or like what's going on here? Really what debts is trying to get out with the you look at the other translations, you can translate it as forgive us our sins, forgive us our trespasses. Basically, it's saying, God, as we've experienced forgiveness from you, let us then turn around and be a forgiving people. This is one of the most foundational aspects of Jesus's ministry is truly understanding the power of forgiveness and the challenge it is to not only receive that forgiveness, to be able to share it with those Around us. Now, I want to clarify a couple things because this can get a little confusing. I do not believe what the scripture is saying is that go out, God's saying, go out and forgive all the people that have wronged you. Once you've gotten that figured out, then come back to me, then we can talk about your forgiveness. We recognize and we understand that the forgiveness that we have received from God came because of the sacrifice Jesus Christ made on the cross when he took upon his sin on himself and he paid the price for all of us. What Jesus is trying to get his disciples to understand, and I think what we still need to understand today, is that there is a reciprocal principle in forgiveness. That forgiveness sought from God must also then be mirrored in our attitude, in our relationships with those around us. Not in sequence, but in harmony. There needs to be this harmonious relationship that takes place when we receive forgiveness, and then we are willing then to forgive those that have wronged us. Now, again, some clarifications. Forgiveness is different than reconciliation. Reconciliation is when there's an argument, some kind of broken relationship between two people, and both people come to the table trying to figure out and solve that problem. That's reconciliation. That is dependent on two people coming together, equally trying to work it out. Forgiveness is only dependent on one person. And most of the time, right, forgiveness is dependent on the person that has been wronged. And forgiveness does not, please hear me, does not ignore the consequences of that sin, of that trespass, of that debt. The, the hurt that we cause each other, like it's real. And it's too often we all just, you know, ignore it, just forget about it. Look, no, it's, it's, there's the reality of our choices and we got to deal with that. There's hard, difficult choices that come in forgiveness. But what Jesus is trying to get his disciples to understand, what he's challenging them to do is release. Release the burden, that anger, that hate, that bitterness 
that he knows that the enemy is going to try to mess up when we have broken relationships, when we've hurt one another and it goes untaken care of. Like there's something that takes place. And so what Jesus is saying, just as you have experienced forgiveness from your heavenly father, mirror that forgiveness in those around you. It sounds easy. I know it's hard and complicated, but that's the challenge I think we face today. Many of you know, I, uh, I live in Canby, which is a small town about 700 miles from here. Um, but a couple months ago, our little town um, kind of got, it, you know, kind of turned upside down, kind of got rocked as there was a family in our community um, that experienced just um, a horrific moment when their 16-year-old son died in a tragic car accident. Um, and so what basically ended up happening was this family, who I don't know very, I don't know personally, I know of them. My wife knows them, and I have a lot of family members uh, that are connected to them and go to the same church that they're a part of. Um, but basically what happened was their 16-year-old son was driving to school one morning, taking his two younger brothers with him. And as they were making their way to school, a car in the other lane that had a car in front of them decided to pass that car. And in so doing, ran straight head on into each other and ended up killing the 16-year-old son. The driver in the other car was a 17-year-old teenager. Now, again, I can't even imagine what this family is walking through, right? What they're thinking, what they're feeling right before Christmas, losing their loved one. I mean, their life is forever changed, and it will never be the same. And every single day, they have to deal with the consequence of that choice. They have to deal with saying goodbye. They have to deal with not having him there. And I'm sure there's anger. I'm sure there's sadness. I'm sure that they are rocked every day by it. But I'm sharing with you this story just so that I can point you towards their testimony. Because as followers of Jesus Christ, and as a family that is trying their best to honor God with their lives, they have made the courageous choice to forgive that 17-year-old that killed their son. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. It's hard. It is challenging. It doesn't make sense. We cry for justice. We say punishment. We say he doesn't deserve it. And you know what? That's true because guess what? None of us have deserved forgiveness. And so in the same attitude, in the same spirit that we have received that love, that grace, and that forgiveness from the God of the universe, this family has then made the decision. We want to mirror that. We want to reflect that. We want to show that same love to this young man who has turned our lives upside down. Last one. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, this is where the NIV really just is challenging for me. I really don't like this translation because it's a little, it can, it can make you think something that I don't think that Jesus was trying to get at. Like, it's almost saying like, God, are you the one that leads us? Like you're beckoning us to temptation. Like you're drawing us closer and closer. And then as soon as we get close, you like push us into temptation. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I don't think that's what the scripture is trying to get at. So the translation in NLT, I think sounds a little bit better. It says, don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Or the NRSV says, do not bring us to the time of trial. Now, of all the parts of the Lord's prayer, 
this is probably the part that I pray the most because man, this is how I feel every single day that I need to call out to God, cry out to him, help us, rescue us. I love how this is basically doing a couple things. One, it's acknowledging the fact and the truth that we're gonna experience hard, difficult times. Like our life and those that follow Jesus, we are not exempt from trials and challenges. But again, not that God is the one causing it or leading us to it. But as I understand the story of scripture and God, that he allows us to, again, go through the time of trial, experience challenges, experience difficulties. And I love the opportunity that we now have as a church, but also individually to cry out, God, protect us. God, rescue us. God, help us because we know there's an enemy out there. Pastor Gareth talked about this last week with the spiritual warfare. I know, again, that's another terminology that we don't like to use, but here's the reality. Every single day, there's a war going on and it's a spiritual war and the enemy is doing all that he can to win your heart. And so this prayer is our opportunity to say, God, do not let the enemy win. Protect us, empower us, save us, not only from the enemy, but save us from ourselves. We make this just as hard. We like the nice things of this world. We like to go after pleasure. We like just to be lazy and weak. This is us crying out, God, please be with us. Do not let us fall victim to this. Help us every step of the way. For me, I, I make this prayer every single day, especially over my two little girls, who I know are in for a ride of their life when it comes to this world, it comes to their schools, their community. And so every day I say, God, bless them. I pray that for my family. I pray that for myself. I pray that for you. I pray that for the church. God, do not let us yield to temptation, but please rescue us, save us, protect us. So let me ask you this. Big question as we looked at the Lord's prayer. Who needs to make this prayer today? How many of us daily need to start our day need to end our day throughout the day. We need to just stop and make the Lord's prayer. Maybe you're wrestling with God. Maybe you have no idea what he's doing in your life. Maybe you have no idea what he's doing in this world. Maybe this idea of being a part of his kingdom or being a part of his ministry or being used by him to represent his gospel is something that's so weird for you. It just doesn't quite make sense. You're not ready for it. Maybe you're holding on so tightly to your will, your control, the idea of giving it up for, so God can point you in the right direction just seems so beyond you. I'm not ready for that yet. Maybe you just need to be reminded that it's God who gives us everything, that it's God who is the provider, and that every day we need to give him thanks and glory so that he can continue to use us to share what we have with those around us. Maybe you have a broken relationship in your life someone that has hurt you and not downplaying the hurt at all, but maybe you need to be released from that burden, released from that hate and that anger because all it's doing is taking away your life. It's taking away your joy. The enemy has a stronghold and he's holding on tight. And so who needs to cry out to God? Just show up, God. Rescue me. Get me out of this mess. I need you today. I'm gonna do a couple things here. Three more things, and then we're done. Number one, I want to invite you, for those of you that need to make this prayer, and for those that are comfortable 
you feel well enough, because I know that we're in a weird time right now, I'd love to invite you to be a part of our pursuit night tonight here at the Happy Valley campus at six o'clock. All this is, is gonna be an opportunity for us to worship and to pray. We as a church family, all of our campuses are coming together to just spend time seeking God first. And so if you just need an opportunity to live up to your created potential, maybe for the first time, we'd love for you to be a part of tonight. Maybe you need to just cry out to God for all the things that you need. You got a laundry list and you need to lay it at God's feet and you'd be like, I need you right now. I need this, God, I need that, I need this. But maybe also you just need an opportunity to surrender to him, to give up all of this control, all this worry, all the anger, all the hurt, all the pain that you might be experiencing. This is an opportunity to come together and lay all that at the feet of God. Or maybe you just need to ask God, help me be a part of your kingdom. Second thing that I want us to do today before you go is I want to sing one more worship song. To honor the Lord's prayer and to honor especially that first part as we cry out, your kingdom come, your will be done as earth as it is in heaven. Let us spend some time experiencing the heaven coming down to earth and surrounding us with his Holy Spirit. That's what worship can be. It's us literally experiencing the kingdom of God, God's presence, and to see what he can do. Here's one of the lyrics from the song that just gets me every time. Spirit of God, fall fresh on us. We need your presence. Your kingdom come. Your will be done here as in heaven. Last thing I want to do is I'm just going to pray with you. And it's going to be a real quick prayer. I know you, you guys know I can pray forever, okay? But it's going to be a real quick prayer. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to bow your heads for those that are comfortable. And I'm just going to read for you the Lord's Prayer one more time. As I claim this truth, as we together as a church family take on the challenge of Jesus' words, as we enter into his presence, as we attempt to give him reverence, and to continually proclaim his name as holy as we continually surrender our will to him. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And do not lead us into temptation, but rescue us, rescue us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship one more time together to church.